Well, it's just great to be here, and um, I really look forward to our time together this morning. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, please accept these next several minutes as a praise to you and a blessing to those in this room. Amen. I understand that the mission of the class uh, is to get to know each other on a different level than you normally do in other Sunday school classes or uh, at church. It's almost like a small group. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put that moniker on it, if you will. Uh, my small group experience has been wonderful over the years. I'll tell you a little bit more about that, um, but it's just a real blessing to be here with you and uh, to get to know you better. I have not been able to do that very well, and um, I really am committed to becoming involved, to getting to know you more on a personal level than I have in the past, and so uh, I am going to be referring to my notes extensively, if you don't mind. Uh, that's kind of different for me, um, but it kind of reminds me um, of the patient went into the psychiatrist office and the doctor asked the patient, um, um, you know, how long have you been having these short-term memory problems? And the patient said, as long as I can remember. <laughs> I'm, re I'm referring to my notes, if you don't mind, because I'm having a hard time remembering everything. Um, so uh, I do want to say this, too. There are people in this room who probably know me better than I know me. Um, there are people in this room that knew my family members, and if there is anything that triggers a memory that you would like to share with this group, I would love it if you would do that. Um, please ask questions, please contribute anything that you want to. This is your time. It's my time too, but it's, it's really our time together, and so I really would love for you to be in involved in this. As I thought about this time, I, I tend to need structure in my thinking, and I need to have some kind of plan. And so as I was thinking about it, I thought, hmm, you know, what have been the themes of my life? Um, and so I've structured my thinking around themes that I have lived out, that I think I've lived out in my life. Uh, themes that were part of my parents' living, part of my family's experience. And so I'm going to be talking a little bit of, uh, about that. Um, members of my family, um, of course I have uh, mom and dad, we did grow up, they grew up in Portland. Um, they married, they're very close. We've always been in Nashville people or Middle Tennessee people. And um, so uh, I had one brother, five years older than me, and I worshiped the ground he walked on. 
If you were here in um, 2008, you may have heard him preach some uh, because he was subbing or in the interim during that time when you were, when Josh, just before Josh came. And uh, he died suddenly and Otter Creek wrapped your arms around us. And that's when I knew I wanted to be here. Um, it was uh, kind of a tragic um, incident for all of us, but um, it was one that you made or helped us get through so well. And so I, I want to thank you for that. Um, one of the things that uh, is a theme that kind of grew out of my relationship with my brother, because I worshiped the ground he walked on, I wanted to emulate everything that he did, um, was my parents would motivate me by kind of setting up a competition between Prentice and me. Now, of course, he was five years older. He was about 14 inches taller. <laughs> um, but it became the competition part became, and I always wanted to know, and I would ask, you know, which one of us is smarter than the other one? <laughs> <laughs> or which one do you love the most? You know, it was always the, I've got to, and so we were, because there was about five years difference in us, we were both reared as firstborns. And so that meant we had a lot of attention, a lot of opportunity, a lot of direction and kind of comparison with adults because firstborns are tend to be compared to their their parents, not their other siblings. And so um, we were uh, competition was one of those themes. Um, my other uh, theme, my parents were very significant, if you will, I don't want to say extreme. Um, sometimes I probably would have said extreme. But they were real uh, strong disciplinarians. And so some of the things that come from that is a self-discipline. You learn how to discipline yourself when they're not around. This. Um, this discipline that I'm talking about uh, was peppered with a lot of love and a high need for play. My, my family played together. We played cards together. We played badminton together. My brother and, and father built this badminton court in our backyard that was just absolutely wonderful. It had lights on it. Fletcher, do you remember it? I thought you did. <laughs> you probably played badminton over there. <laughs> and it was uh, just in the spring and the summertime, we were out every night playing badminton as a family. And um, so the, the, the discipline part that was a theme of mine um, really was peppered with play. And so I grew up with a really high need for play. 
all my life is still apparent. I really want to play. I want to play golf. I want to play on the boat. I want to play just anything you want to say, I want to play. And it served me well because um, I, I think that's, especially as you get older, you uh, are looking for things to do. And the play part really does help give you, uh, I think, a um, fuller experience of life, uh, if you will. I want to ask a question. Um, I know that a lot of you are probably familiar with story work. Know that? Any, who is familiar with it? So, Terry, why don't you tell? Story work. It, it, are there people who are not familiar with it? Okay, so there are some people who are not. So. Okay, my daughter bought me a, a subscription to StoryWorth, and I, you get a question every week, and you have to write something that you remember. You know, who was your best friend in school? Um, what was your greatest challenge? Uh, what was your greatest success? And so you, you wrote out, you write out, couple of paragraphs, couple of pages, whatever comes to your mind, and they collect them for you and then send you a book at the end of your memory. Yeah. You can add pictures to it. I mean, you can really be fancy with it if you want to. Uh, but it's a, a way of um, getting your life down so that, um, you know, your um, family can see it uh, later on and get details about your family. Um, my nephew gave me a subscription to StoryWorth about two years ago, and I'm still working on it. So another one of my themes is procrastination. <laughs> um, because I'm playing when I should be writing. <laughs> so, but I did want to read a little bit from one of the questions. Um, the question is, what is the most important lesson that your parents taught you? Um, and I'll just read if you don't mind. Um, there are many most important lessons my parents taught me. Obviously the most important was that Jesus must be the center of my life and that emulating him is the only way to live a happy, prosperous life and be confident in heaven as my goal and outcome. There were perspectives for life which they taught that I believe helped in successful daily living. My father was one of the most consistent, persevering people that I've ever known. His life was centered around family, church, and work. There was never a time when I remember that he was not in attendance or that he was late or deferring an event that was associated with these major areas or subsections of these areas. His perseverance paid off in many ways in his own life, progressive career movement within the US postal system, um, moving through the institutional structure of the church to finally become an elder in which he served for approximately 25 years, and then to successfully overcome a serious illness. My mom always approached life with a positive attitude. There's gotta be a pony in there someplace. Um, she never let personal disregard 
economic or health obstacles or any other obstacle that I can think of impede her from being positive. She loved life mainly around anything associated with her family, church, or Lipscomb and invested most of her energy around those areas. Her main education interest was the education and development of children, hers and her students. And she was wildly successful in this interest as she was named a Lipscomb legend as a result of her impact on her students over the th a 30 year period. Her answer to all the world woes was Christian education. And she was committed to contributing and continuing that effort. So two things that come out of that for me, as I've lived out, is the importance of education. I am, have always been dedicated to education and lived my, a lot of my life uh, in, in classrooms, actually. And um, the other part of it is persevering. Um, keeping on with a goal, having a goal, but keeping on with it until uh, you can uh, have achieved it. So uh, another area that um, I think Paulette indicated that we were at Hillsborough Church, um, my, my mom and dad were early members. They were, I don't, I don't know how much you all know about the history of that church, but it was on the corner of 21st and, I'm not going to remember the name. Ashwood. Ashwood. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and it was only, um, when it started, it was only a, a basement. You know how they used to build, and there was a basement, and there was a little bit of the basement that was above ground, and then they put the rest of the building. Well, this was a basement with a little bit above ground, and they were early members of that of that church. Uh, that they weren't founders, but they were um, very very early on. Um, so. The experience with I me, mean, just like many, many of you all, uh, every time the door is opened, uh, we were there. Uh, Mom and dad were teachers and uh, developed the, some of the programs, Sunday school and Wednesday night programs. So it was, it was, I don't know how you say this, when you are for me, I can only speak for me, in that kind of experience, the need to be around Jesus-centered people is part, becomes part of your DNA. Going to church or being part of a small group effort or thinking about the Bible and thinking about um, what Jesus has done to us becomes part of your DNA. I can only speak to that. So that is uh, certainly still a theme of mine. Went to Lipscomb from first grade through college. Um, it was a wonderful experience. I went to school with several of the people who were sitting in here. 
and uh, you know what kind of wonderful experience that was. But one of the things that it really did help me was prepare me for life. I mean, from an educational point of view, there was, I, I never felt like that there wasn't anything I could do educationally, that, that, that there was, let me see how I want to say this, that if it was an educational issue, I would be able to accomplish that. I never had any um, mm. resistance, self-resistant in, in order uh, to be involved in that. So it was a great preparation. Um, and I started my career teaching. And back then, women tend to have two choices uh, for career, uh, being a nurse and being a teacher. And so I started my career teaching. I taught uh, in metro schools. I taught psychology at the secondary level. At that time, uh, it was juniors and seniors. So you were dealing with very young adults, but they were adults. And, and so it was um, a, a really wonderful experience. And during that time, because I was in education, I just continued to go back to school and get degrees. And every time I would get a degree, I felt like it was the end. It was the last, it was a terminal degree. I wasn't gonna do this again. I was going to get married, was what I was going to do. But that didn't, that didn't work out or didn't happen. And so I kept getting degrees. <laughs> so, I don't know, there's two roads. Uh, but uh, so as I, as I went through that process, I started doing educational consulting. And that morphed into business consulting. And so as that started occurring, I developed a relationship with people at HCA, and um, I was hired there and began another career. And I reported to this gentleman sitting <laughs> over here. <laughs> And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And while I was there, uh, Doug became president of the subsidiary that I was working in. And when Terry and two other people left, Doug chose me to be in their footsteps. So Doug and Terry have been such mainstays in my life and have given me such opportunity that, uh, and such learning from both of them. Um, these are amazing men, you know they are. Um, and we miss Doug so much, uh, but we, and we are so appreciative that, of Terry. And uh, they have uh, helped me in my career. They gave me, they gave me this career. Um, so it was an interesting time, though, because as I began to go into healthcare, what I learned, and I, 
And I sat down and counted the number of healthcare companies that I've been in. And <laughs> there were eight, eight of them. And what we do is in healthcare, healthcare is so dynamic and organizations are consumed or they are the consumer. <laughs> they, uh, and so what I found was I worked with um, companies that were just um, about to be sold or needed to be sold. So things that I learned about myself during that time is that I was a builder of systems. I love building something in an organization. I love developing people. And I also learned the importance of work to people. Um, and it became very important uh, to me. And then I also found that I loved the process of business. I really, really did. And I never, never, I, that wasn't what I started out in college doing, but I learned to love the dynamics of business and uh, what people do for work and how they succeed. So, um, very quickly, um, I, the, the bottom line to a lot of that is just how do you address change? Change in your life. And, um, you know, change is often a series of events over which we really have either very little or no control. And so, um, so re how you respond to some of those events uh, has kind of led me, as I was thinking about today, led me to this thinking. So imagine it's 1954. Um, I'm 11. This is spring of that year, 1954. On a Wednesday afternoon, I got home with my mom and dad, uh, with my mom. And mom is a teacher, and so we go to school together and we come home together. Um, I, I go in and I start um, studying, like always. Dad has been to the doctor that day. And he comes in and he shares the results of the test with mother. And the results of the test are that he has contracted tuberculosis. Now, get this, it's 1954. Uh, at that time, people who had, first there was a fairly good amount of stigma that went with that disease, the treatment was you went into a hospital and if you survived the hospital, you, you potentially came out with mental illness or you lots and lots, if you read some of the history of that, lots and lots of um, people committed suicide um, as a result of that diagnosis. So, I could tell 
even though I was in my, in my little room, I could tell that mother was pretty upset. Now it's Wednesday, remember I said it was Wednesday. Guess what we did? We went to church. And my mother shared with the elders and with all of their friends what had happened and what we were looking at. And over the next six months, I watched my parents go through six months in the hospital, the removal of a lung and recovery from that, and then going home and the recovery again was six months in the bed. So he had taken out an entire year of his life and of the family's life responding to this illness. My mother never missed a beat. She was always a teacher. She kept the family stable in, um, we, we, uh, in fact, I've even, until I started doing this, I'd almost even forgotten about that event, which was a pretty big event, especially at that time. I never even knew that there was a huge amount of problem. So I, I guess why I'm telling you this is because that brings me to um, some research that I am just and I'm going to, I've got these, if you'll take these and just pass them back. And to the others, you may have to share them. Um, because it's a, it's a, a term that people are now doing a good bit of research about. The research started uh, um, probably 20 years ago. It's, it's fairly new research. When you look at all the social research out there, it's fairly new. The word was not even coined until about 20 to 25 years ago. And as I looked through these characteristics, these were my parents. The first one is they have a positive, realistic outlook. Resilient people have a positive, realistic outlook. Now, I've already said my mother was a very positive person, uh, almost to the point of being unrealistic, actually. I mean, this is the most beautiful fall ever. This is the greatest tree out here. This is the greatest person I've ever met. That was my mother. And so, but when you've got a problem, that helps. Um, they have a moral compass. Highly resilient people have a solid sense of what they consider right or wrong, and it tends to guide their decisions. Terry knows this probably as well as I do. Um, 
it was really scary. Now I haven't, I haven't worked since 1972. I think I retired in 1972. But at that time, one of the fastest growing trends among employees was the inability to tell right from wrong. A moral compass had not been developed. And so resilient people have a moral compass. And it just means, as you're thinking about rearing children, how important that is. Because it not only keeps you out of jail, I guess, but <laughs> it not only helps in your interaction with your environment, but it helps you be successful as a resilient person. Having a moral compass, knowing I can do this or I can't do this. And that, that was something that, they have a belief in something greater than themselves. Uh, they often found that, um, or this is often found in religious or spiritual practices, uh, and the community support that comes. So. This research shows that people who are resilient tend to have relationships like we have, church relationships, that we understand there is a higher being and that we worship them. They're altruistic, they have a concern for others and a degree of selflessness. Um, they're often dedicated to causes they find meaningful and give them a sense of purpose. This is all so scriptural to me. Every time I read these, I think, well, I know where that came from. Um, they accept what they cannot change and focus energy on what they can change. They have a mission, a meaning, and a purpose. Feeling committed to a meaningful mission in life gives them courage and strength. And then they have a good social uh, support system. Very few resilient people go it alone. I really like that. We need the support and the help and the love to get through problems of people who love us. So I want to stop here and ask you, can you think of people or things that, how does this hit you? This is one of my themes, so I, I feel like I've really, uh, if I kind of summed up everything, that would be it, resilience. Two things, one, uh, years ago I, I was in a survey about Nashville College and University, and one of the questions on there, and we didn't identify who the survey was from, and one of the questions on there was, uh, which schools, are, list the schools that you think do a good job at preparing students for life. And uh, uh, <coughs> to my surprise, uh, Lipscomb came in first. They had a Vanderbilt. Now most Lipscomb people, in my opinion, certainly then, did not believe that. But, uh, uh, and then as I thought about that, I thought, well, the, the, you know, well then the, the 
Nelson Andrews, who was the founder of Leadership National, he and I had breakfast for lunch once a week for 40 years. But I asked Nelson one day about why there weren't more people in Leadership National that were looking people. He said, well, he said, here's what I think. He said, I think looking people aren't running companies to the CEO. They are the number two people in a lot of companies. And the reason they're the number two, they don't want to make the kind of sacrifice of family and the kind of things you're talking about here right. to be that number one guy. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, then, and then one day, uh, he, he was uh, board emeritus at Vanderbilt. One day he, he mentioned that uh, he thought looking people uh, were ideal employees. And I said, well, what's that? He said, well, he said, one is that they, uh, most of the people just have a real sense of family. They are, uh, they show up on time, they, they're reliable, uh, you know, they're consistent, and uh, he said they're just dependable people. And, uh, and he mentioned some other, some other schools in town, but, but he had the, he had the, that, that's how I say he described it. And, and all of this reminds, reminds me of those two things. Great, great, thank you. Um, somebody else, what does this list, how does this picture? I don't, I can't add much story, but I think this is right on. Mm -hmm. Did, I'd like to know, did you adapt this from Stephen Southwick or is this his words? No, those are his words. Those are his words. Well, I think it's amazing. <laughs> and Doug always thought Linda Matter was just the greatest. <laughs> as well as Terry Frisbee. They're all humble and hard workers. Any other comments about, about this? If you were to, um, you know, I'm a, so what does this mean to me kind of stuff. Um, I, I, you know, one of the things I thought about was developing some kind of scale. And you could assess yourself on this. How positive a person are you? Um, I would think most people in here have a good moral compass. You can tell the difference between right and wrong. But how, where are you on each one of these things? Or your grandchildren. I, you know, that, that trend that I told you about, about employees, was such a scary trend to me about the one of the fastest growing trends in employees was the inability to tell right from wrong. That is a scary, scary trend. And it's not just employees. I mean, that's what I was concerned with. This body of research uh, 
now don't hold me to this because I cannot tell you the number of uh, or the names of companies but one of the things that companies are now using is some of this to assess in their employment process uh, to see as a candidate how resilient are you and um, I think that was is a really good way of thinking about employment. Um, when you talked about that it's a way of our lives, and I think people in here uh, certainly qualify for that, but when you talk about grandchildren, they are in the process, hopefully, Absolutely. of developing these um, attributes and uh, way of living, and I think that that's one of the ways we can be of help to our grandchildren. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Model those. This is just kind of taking what you already know and focusing it a little bit and saying this helps uh, from a research point of view. We know that these are characteristics of people who can go through negative change and come out the other end in a positive way. They're many times better because they are so resilient. Well, we're kind of at a, a time where we need to end. I, I just wanted to recap my themes a little bit. Um, one is self-discipline, we talked about, achievement, education, um, change and resilience. Um, I've loved this process. This has helped me a lot more than it's helped you. Uh, but I so appreciate the opportunity to be with you, and I hope, I hope that we can get to know each other a little bit different. Terry, would you help me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his